Welcome to the Divorce Comeback Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Heidi B., certified and trauma-informed divorce coach, professional planner, and go-to gal for navigating the next steps of your divorce journey. I'm so happy you've tuned in for the tools, topics, and truth talk to start transforming your life today. I truly believe that there are no setbacks in life, only set-ups for epic comebacks. So without further delay, let's continue creating your comeback today. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. My guest today has graciously shared her expertise on multiple episodes over the past three years in this space, including episode 114, How Blame is Blocking You, episode 96, Heartbreak Happy Hour, episode 68, Navigating Grief, episode 52, Cultivating Courage, and episode 27, Shame is Horseshit. So after you listen to this gem of a show, make sure you go binge all of her other epic episodes with us. Um, This is Dr. Sean Horn, who is a licensed clinical psychologist, TEDx speaker, author of the Christian Journal for Women with Anxiety, host of Inspired Living Podcast, and YouTuber. And her mission is to bust through shame, ignite hope, and inspire wholehearted living. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Sean. Thank you. As you went through that list, I was like, oh my goodness, I don't remember all those. We did do a lot. <laughs> I did not remember all those either, but I knew I I knew I have requested you several times. You're kind of my go-to uh, clinical psychologist when it comes to certain mm-hmm. things. And for whatever reason, this concept that we're going to talk about today has been has been popping up probably for years in my own business and I've done my best to navigate it in the coaching space but I'm not in your space so I wanted to lend listeners a fresh perspective from your professional experience and beyond and so to say that I am excited about this episode is an understatement because um the universe has kind of blocked us from having this chat for a while I had some things you had some things but finally it's here And I believe that everything happens in perfect timing. So whatever is meant for our listeners is going to pop out in in our show today. Um, But first of all, I don't think I have ever asked you this question. So I'm going to finally ask it, which is, why are you so passionate about the work that you do? Oh, my goodness. That's such a good question. (laughs) You know, sometimes we just get these passions that just seem to be planted in us. And we can't necessarily always explain why. But I will say that I grew up as a child with undiagnosed ADHD. And when you have neurodiversity, you experience a lot of shame. And it can manifest in different ways. It can manifest in um, becoming a, a perfectionist, a people pleaser, having body shame, having imposter syndrome, all these things come out of the experience of holding toxic shame. And so when I learned about toxic shame and learned, and and my professor said in grad school, shame is at the core of all of our emotional and behavioral struggles. When I saw how central it was, I thought this absolutely needs to be identified for people in their healing process. Because if we don't get to the root of all of our coping behaviors, all of our maladaptive survival skills of 
ways we soothe our our shame, the ways we hide our shame, then we're going to continue to be stuck in that loop because shame is a lie. Shame tells us we're unworthy. And what we didn't know as little children is that that message was more to do with the people that were giving it to us than it was to do with us. And it was rooted in having unrealistic expectations, not understanding how the brain works, not understanding child development, not uh, having that deep understanding makes adults and parents hold these unrealistic expectations. And then you have this experience as a child, well, what is wrong with me that I can't think like that, that I didn't do these things? And so I found that when people can shed that, there's this amazing, amazing blossoming, this amazing birthing of the gift that is within them that we need. And I feel like I'm at a parade. And for some weird reason, every time I'm at a parade, I cry. If there's a marching band, I cry. I cry every single time. I I can't I don't know why, but it's like that for me. It is so moving to me to see people move through life unleashed, uninhibited, or if they are busting through that and stepping into their potential, stepping into the gifts that were weaved into their person and pursuing those dreams. That to me is heaven. That to me is the most magical, most wondrous, most natural wonder of the world. Mm. And just like we would feel if we sat seeing a gorgeous sunset at, at the Grand Canyon or at a national park and just being awestruck by that beauty, that is how I feel when I see someone rise out of their shame and into their being. And that ignites my passion. And so there I am, here I am on the mission to give that message to people and saying, the person you think you are is not the person who you are. And we need to transform from who we were programmed to be into the person we were designed to be. And that is our life journey. It's a journey every day of self-discovery until the day that we cross over and we leave this lifetime. Um, if that wasn't a mic drop moment, I don't know what is. I'm going to go back and listen to just that 10 times. I know after this goes live, that was amazing. Um, I got, I truly got chills in describing that. And I'm so glad that for some reason I was like, I've never asked her this important question. And now it makes so much sense why you're so connected and so amazing at the work that you do. So You guys, if that wasn't reason to go back and listen to all her other episodes, I don't know what is. And here's some more. Um, This episode topic is truly, truly a long time coming. It's something that comes up nearly for me with nearly every single client that I have. I can't believe it, but it is a consistency. And I've experienced it myself. And so I wanted to dig deeper in it for myself to understand a little bit more um, personally, but also professionally, and just allow uh, those out there, our listening base, to to hear from a new perspective. So I'm grateful we can have your expertise to help navigate this conversation of when my clients say, I want to stop crying. I want to get off this emotional roller coaster. 
I am tired of crying. And there comes a point in the healing process where you just feel like, oh my gosh, enough already. Now I'm speaking from personal experience with this phrase. Mm-hmm. Enough already. I'm tired of crying. I can't believe I even still have tears left in me. Like, mm-hmm. I don't even know why I'm still crying, but I, I just want to feel like me again. And I feel like this is holding me back. So what do we do? What's happening here? Help us unpack this situation of the crying, the crying. It is a real struggle. I hear it very often in my private practice and it is hard. So for us to begin understanding the function of crying and when we have excess crying or can't cry, let's look at how our nervous system works and how our emotions are experienced in relation to our nervous system. So there is a difference between emotions and feelings. Emotions are our instinctual reactions. They are our impulses, our our, um, survival mechanisms that come without thought. So they are immediate and they are part of our ancient brain. Feelings are the, the feelings that we experience when we think about those emotions. So often, or come out of our thoughts about those emotions. So another way to look at this is the difference between primary and secondary emotions. Primary are those first instinctual um, things that I just described. And secondary are our feelings about those feelings, so to speak. Okay. So when we get, we can get sad about being sad. We can get angry about being having grief. We can get anxious about being anxious. And I see this so often when people have had an event that has really rocked their world emotionally, it creates a trauma response almost to where it was so devastating to them that they couldn't function, that they couldn't do what they wanted to do. They couldn't hide it, couldn't contain it, that they're terrified of having that experience again. So the minute they feel sad, the minute they feel anxious, they get you know, really anxious about it and think, oh, no, 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 I don't want this to happen. And they start to have that second layer to it. So when we are dealing with anxiety, when we're dealing with trauma, when we're dealing with some of these events that have really rocked our world, often it is physiological first and psychological second. So you have your body's reaction that occurs before your modern brain is even putting together what just happened. Mm. Imagine you're you're in a room and you're doing something and someone go, jumps in and goes, bah, and they scare you, right? You're going to be, you know, immediately have an alarm response. So that's an emotion, primary emotion. But then you think, God, why would you do that to me? You know, I'm busy. I'm in the middle of a call. Like now I'm angry with you. And I'm I'm angry that I get so jumpy every time they do this, right? So that is coming from that thought process. So when people are going through grief, they often are experiencing both of those layers. They're experiencing the body doing what the body is meant to do. And they're experiencing the complications that come with our thought dynamic. Mm. that can exasperate that experience. Wow. That that is huge. I'm so glad that you broke down the, the, the functional part of what's actually happening in our emotions, in our feelings, and physiologically. That is, that makes so much sense. 
Yes. So to understand the physiological component, I like to bring people's attention to polyvagal theory and to look at the polyvagal chart. And I'll send that to you and you can give it to your viewers or or they can come over to my um, Instagram and and look at my resources there to see the polyvagal chart. Perfect. And in this chart, it's divided into three different stages. So think of it like a traffic light. The green light is where we are when we have total peace. We feel connected. We feel loved. We're comfortable. We feel safe. And when we're there, everything's working the way it should. We've got good immune system, good digestion. We're sleeping like a baby. Our skin is glowing. We're we're just in optimal health. And we want to be social. We want to be with people. So these are the days where... You're just all of a sudden got all this energy and you want to call a friend and say, hey, let's go have coffee. And you have the energy to be on the phone to talk and have that desire. But when your body starts to detect danger or something in the environment that is alerting it to we're not in that green light space, we are now in a um, in a threatening space, we go to the yellow light, which is that fight and flight stage. And when we are there, our body is releasing all those chemicals that our body needs to fight the lion and to run from the lion. Mm -hmm. So it's charged up with adrenaline. It's charged up with cortisol. And it is characterized by the emotions of frustration, irritation, anger, even rage. That's the fighting energy. And the flighting energy is characterized by worry and concern and anxiety and fear and panic. And when we're there, our body is prioritizing the the need to be energized to do what we need to do. We're not meant to stay in that place. That is, that's the sprinting. Just imagine if, oh, yeah. if the yellow light was a runner, it would be a sprinter. Mm. The green light, we're not running. We're laying on a cushion eating grapes, right? <laughs> 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 with our with our people. But in the yellow light, we're sprinting. But because we're not meant to stay there, we will then, when our body says, oh my goodness, I cannot run from this lion. I cannot fight this lion. This lion now is on top of me and I am completely helpless. There's nothing I can do. When you're in the yellow light, you go, quick, quick, go, right? Red light, everything stops. And when we get there, everything begins to shut down for the purpose that if that lion is eating my stomach, I will not feel the pain. So we get the numb function so that we don't have, we have uh, the ability to tolerate whatever pain we're going to go through. Mm. And also maybe we'll act dead and then the lion won't eat us and we'll go away. So when we are in the red light, our body will only do what is minimally necessary to keep us alive. And in that place, that's where people have low blood pressure, low heart rate, And a lot of people will come to me in therapy and I'll say, how's your blood pressure? And they go, it's really low. And yet this person is not a marathon runner. They are not the poster child for optimal health. They have no, there's no evidence that this person should have the blood pressure that you would see with someone who is an athlete under ideal health conditions, right? Yeah. 
So that is actually a sign that they are in that level of trauma, potentially, if their blood pressure is low, if their heart rate is low. And, and sometimes people get that vasal uh, uh, constriction or where it shuts down, they faint. They kind of uh-huh. have these fainting episodes. Like um, some people will be runners and they'll just faint while they run. And that's the body saying, nope, we're shutting down. And it goes to the red light. Mm. So when we're in the red light, we feel helpless. We have increased pain threshold tolerance, depression, numbness, and dissociation. And dissociations where you know that you're looking at your hands and you know that that's your body, but it feels like you're looking at somebody else's body. Mm. Or you know that you're talking to somebody, but it feels like you're watching a movie. Or maybe you're even having out-of-body experiences. That's dissociation. Mm. But it also is where we feel trapped and we start our bodies preparing for that death. We feel hopeless, shut down. And interestingly enough, this is where the emotion shame resides. So what's happening to so many of us is that we're not using all of those three lights. We're in stress mode and we go to shutdown mode, back to stress mode, back to shutdown mode. Mm-hmm. And we think when we're in the shutdown mode, <clears throat> excuse me, I scratched my throat. <laughs> when we're in that shutdown mode, that that is the peace that surpasses all understanding. But it's not necessarily a good thing. It's a good thing for your survival. Yeah. But it's happening because your body thinks it's in a life-threatening situation. So here, our body is so incredible what it does. It has these things that it kicks in, these um, responses and activations to help us, our body keep balanced in homeostasis. Yes. So when you're hot, you sweat, right? Yeah. Crying is equivalent to sweat it as it is. Okay. So crying to the nervous system is what sweat is to a hot body. When you cry, it showers all of those chemicals to help bring you back down to the coolness of the green light. Mm. And this is why people will say, I just feel so good when I have a good, after a good cry, right? It releases oxytocin, which is the feel-good chemical, all these good endorphins, everything to just soothe the body. It's soothing the body. Mm. And essentially, imagine like a a dog that's on guard, you know, his tail is up and it's all prickly and and it's alert and it's ready to attack. But then something comes in and relaxes the dog and the dog goes belly up and lets you rub its belly, right? So crying makes us go belly up. Mm. And for that reason, when someone still detects threat, but their body gets too hot, the nervous system gets too hot with stress. And so it's it sweats its cry, so to speak, right? Yeah. Then there's a, a panic because the person doesn't feel safe to be belly up. Oh. They don't feel safe enough to be belly up, so they don't want to cry. And this is when people say, I hate crying. I don't like crying in front of other people. Mm. It is a vulnerability. We are not vigilant when we cry. 
We're not listening to the sounds of the predator. We're not paying attention. So it's like a guard at a palace gate who knows the enemy's coming and his job is to sound the alarms. And it's like crying walks up to the, to the guard and says, hey, 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 you know what? You're really stressed. I think you need to just take a nap. And the guard goes, get away from me. You person, you know, you, <laughs> I need to be on guard here. Don't tell me to take a nap. Go, oh, no, 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 no. You're too, don't get yourself too excited. We need to bring it down. It's too much. Let's take a nap. It's like, no, I have to stay on guard. So imagine ah. the process of going through divorce. You imagine the anxiety that that brings up, the fears that that brings up, the anger that that brings up. And that means we're in that yellow light and we're not meant to be a sprinter. Yeah. And so this sprinter is sprinting a marathon. Yes. And the body is saying, no, 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 we can't do it. So it's pouring the water on you as Mm. you go. It's pouring it, pouring it to bring it down, to bring it down because you're, it's too elevated. And if it stays there, you may get autoimmune diseases Mm because that's the next step. When our body can't handle ongoing breakdown and you get a breakdown of your immune system, you start to get a breakdown of even of bone strength and, and it can lead to death eventually. Mm. So our body's saying we cannot sustain this. We have to bring it down. So if somebody is in that place where their body is really trying its hardest to keep up with the ongoing stresses of removing this relationship and adjusting to a new chapter in your life and all of the fears, all of the unexpected things, sometimes the ongoing conflict you have with your partner, the co-parenting challenges, it's not over, right? A lot of times people think when divorce is over, it's done. I'm done with this problem. Oh, yeah. that I definitely lived in that um, false belief for yeah. in the beginning, thinking this is just, you know, this will be a lot easier once we just sign the papers and it's over. And the next day after making it final was one of the hardest days. And then it got harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. So this is making so much sense. This yeah. is making so much sense. A lot um, of people have very a lot of problems after their divorce. I always say it's not easy staying married. It's not easy getting divorced. It's different, right? Yeah. Yep. But just like with everything, has pros and cons. And so we would be mistaken if we think that it's going to be without any challenges after divorce. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is really so interesting. The the tears part makes so much more sense. So thanks for putting all of those pieces in place. And part of what I hear you saying is, you know, if if like tears are really a gift to us because it really is that watering, that looking over, that nourishment that we need to help our body self-regulate. And if we don't, we can be in a really even an even more dangerous spot than we are. It's it's a good, it's a good response. And so I feel like part of this is actually like, how can I change my relationship to the story that I have around these tears or the beliefs that I have around these tears or the understanding I have around these tears? Because when you use the example of the guard, it made so much sense that, oh my gosh, I'm just being so guarded with what this means for me. And I know for me, it was like, oh, you need to stop because you're just being weak again. 
Like you're just being weak again, right? Like you wake up and you're just crying again. And you're like, I just, I'm not strong enough to get over this. And I don't use that phrase anymore. Just get over it. I see people out there saying like, you're just going to get over it. Like, I really believe that there's not this getting overness. There's a moving forward and there's a moving through it, Mm -hmm. but there's no stuffing it down and there's no getting over it um, Mm -hmm. uh, for me in, in, in the way that I see it now. But it really is like a changing of my relationship to what those tears are telling me, mm-hmm. you know, our, uh, I also have learned from another coach of mine, that like our bodies are just data, like there's so much information and our brains are kind of like these meaning making machines. Like you said, I love that you explained the difference between emotions and feelings, primary and secondary, because so often when I see myself spiraling, it's because my busy brain is working on a spiral story that doesn't support me. So if I'm telling myself over and over again, oh my gosh, I'm just so weak. I need to st- I need to stop crying. I need to stop these tears. It's like this like have to type of a thing. Instead of just saying, oh my gosh, there's those tears again. There's some truth there. Maybe it's j- I need to tune in. Somewhere a need inside of me is asking it to be nourished. You know, maybe there's some mm-hmm. truth in here like, what kind of um, story am I going to subscribe to or thoughts am I going to subscribe to? What are your, what are your thoughts around that? Right. You're mentioning about changing the rules, the toxic rules we were given about feelings. And instead of saying the story that crying is weak, we change that and understand that's a biological function that is there for our best interest. Mm. And I know that I hear from my clients say, yeah, I get that Dr. Sean, but I can't be crying all day at work. I can't be crying when I'm with clients. I can't, it's really intruding on my life and my function. It's unwelcomed and it's happening in these times that maybe it doesn't make sense that the body is crying. Mm. And when this happens, sometimes that switch that is telling our body to go green, yellow, red, green, yellow, you know, we're meant to go up and down. Where the yad, the red zone, it, it's okay to be there. It, we're just not meant to stay there. And so sometimes the switch gets a little bit jumpy and it's not quite short circuiting on you. And when that happens, we definitely want to have a visit with our doctor and talk to them because it could be that, that the body needs some assistance to get regulated again. And perhaps they, people will try. Uh, medications. Perhaps they'll target their sleep. There are things that will make our body more vulnerable to emotion dysregulation, more vulnerable to not being able to regulate our nervous system effectively. And that's when we're not getting good sleep, not getting good nutrition. Uh, When our body is imbalanced, our hormones are out of whack. Stress affects our hormones, right? And so we do need a full workup of how is our body doing? How's our hormones, our thyroid, our iron levels, our blood sugar levels, you know, and look at your lifestyle. Are you drinking too much? Are you not eating what you need to eat? Are you, did you forget to eat today? You must eat and you must eat the food that your body needs to fuel itself. The brain is an organ that sur- that needs to be fed protein for it to function mm. and, and fats, healthy fats. So we have to do that. Okay, it's time for a 10 second break to tell you about something great. 
Did you know that there's a community of divorced women who meet up virtually on a weekly basis and heal through divorce together? That's right. Our 12-week comeback community and group coaching experience provides the roadmap, the resources, and the relationships needed to navigate your new normal, create your comeback, and thrive after divorce. Take it from me. When you've got a plan and a partner in place, you'll be moving forward faster in no time. Visit divorcecomebackcoach.com and book your free clarity call with me, Heidi B, today and see if it's a fit. All right, let's get back to the show. So that that's one component is like if you can't manage it more effectively or contain it, then we definitely want to get in with the doctor, medical doctor and have a full workup and explore what your options are with that. That's really interesting what you just said, though, and i sorry to interrupt, but I don't want to lose this, is just from a personal level, in case anybody needs to hear this today, I just hearing what you just said of like, let's let's look at you kind of a little more holistically, what's going on here? Because if sleep is a really important thing, which we just forget, it's a simple factor, right? And nourishment is is a simple thing, but we forget because we're just in this fight or flight or freeze mode, right? All the different lights are going on and flashing and we're bouncing here and there. I remember as I was going through, I know if somebody would have said, let's take a look at your sleep. I would have gone, oh my gosh, I'm, well, I'm not sleeping. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm staying up as late as I can. I'm drinking until I fall asleep from that. I'm eating a pizza every day because I'm just in this like, you know, numbing phase. So it's just, I'm just eating pizza. Or or you're self-medicating because that's another way you're bringing your cortisol down Mm -hmm. is bringing in the serotonin from carbohydrates. Yes. Ooh, thank you for sharing that. Mm. So there's that part of it. And then I will fall asleep eventually, but it's going to be, it was very rustly kind of sleep. And then I would get up and I had to go to work and I had to put on the face because I was filled with shame and embarrassment and grief that I had no tools or understanding of how to process. So my body was just really not in a space where it could care for itself. And I wasn't even giving it a fighting chance because I had so many numbing mechanisms. Even exercise became a numbing mechanism. I would just run and run and run and literally run away from my feelings, or I would just work, 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 work. I was a workaholic. So anything but sleep or nourishment or any of those things. So hopefully that helps somebody listening of like, maybe these are just some indicators of um, kind of that little nudge to go have somebody have a look with you in partnership. Mm-hmm. Yes. And when we don't understand how our nervous system works, we'll perceive all the challenges you just mentioned as uh, we'll personalize it, that I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. I'm choosing this or I'm not choosing it. I This must mean I don't want it. This must mean that I'm sabotaging myself. This must mean that I'm incapable. Something's wrong with me. And it's not the case when we understand how much our nervous system and the chemicals that it is using to alert different states, we realize how much this is not our fault, you know, necessarily, right? But we just feel like it is. And when you're in the yellow light, you are running away from people. When you're in the red light, you are hiding from people. And what do people say when you need support? Go see a person. This is going against your nature. Your nature is saying, run, hide, 
do not go around people. And shame is saying, don't be around people because you will be exiled and that will affect your survival. So it's against our nature to want to pick up a phone and say, hey, I'm having a hard day. People always say, you know, reach out, let people know. That is the last thing people are going to want to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's really hard to ask for help when when your nervous system is signaling those messages to your body because that is not a natural thing to do in that place. Mm, that's so good. Um, so what do we do? Yeah. How how do we seek support? Because we've talked a lot about where this comes from. It makes a lot of mm-hmm. sense. Um, yeah. You did mention getting getting in touch with a doctor and seeing mm-hmm. where we're at physically. Oh, where where do we start with all of this? What can we do yeah. to support ourselves? So see the doctor, you know, you dress the physical, learn about the nervous system, learn about polyvagal theory, learn about vagal tone exercises and somatic Mm -hmm. exercises that you can do to shake out the energy of that emotion in your body, right? Emotions have a life cycle. We digest, we we, um, ingest, digest, and expel. And so the ingest is something activating you, something triggered you. The digesting is you're feeling all the feels and the expelling is the running, the jumping, the talking, the writing, the, it's some way you're getting the energy expressed, right? Mm. But most people are thinking that what's healthy, wise, and best is to lock it down. And that's the worst thing you do because you're going to get so constipated with that emotion Mm -hmm. that it's going to really hurt your health. So we have to find those ways to excel, excel, or excrete it. And that's where you dance, you run. So it was probably good to run, right? But we yeah. do need to rest. And it's funny you mentioned that running example, because when I'm telling people about the yellow light, I say, imagine a gazelle running from the lion. And it's like you grab its throat and you say, it's time to eat. And you're trying to put grass in its mouth. But it's like trying to run. It's going, what are you doing? It's like spitting out the grass because it's not time to eat right? It's time to run. And for that reason, our body does the same. It doesn't want to eat. It has a hard time eating. People, when they eat in that stage, they'll say, I get nauseous. I can't digest. Uh, It hurts my stomach. So it's really hard for us to eat. And we have to be very intentional Mm -hmm. about resting and eating in that way. But the second thing that we want to point out is things that we can do with the secondary emotions to not make the th- the situation worse. Mm. And this is where we look at our thoughts and how our thoughts are responding to our feelings. Mm. And the analogy I like to use is of a parent and a child and the child falling. The child falling and getting hurt and and uh you know crying and looks up at the parent like what's happening? This is your body feeling all it feels and going what's going on. The parent is the modern brain. That is either responding in an intentional, wise way, or it's reacting with alarm, right? So the child falls and it goes, oh my gosh, I bro- oh, am I broken? And the parent goes, oh my gosh, you're broken, you're broken. And it freaks out and then the baby starts screaming. It's a big, hot mess. Or the parent's equipped with a knowledge now to know what to look for. So the parent goes in and it looks for, is it is there a cut? Is there bleeding? Um, and they make decisions. Is this Band-Aid and hug and kiss the boo-boo? Is this urgent care? Is this hospital? What What is the proper step to take? Mm. And that's when we understand these biofeedback 
information, like crying is bi- is the information biofeedback, right? Yeah. Not articulate yet this morning. It's early for me. <laughs> it is early for you. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're we're trying to um and learn about what are what are the signs? What is the fever? The sign of a fever in my nervous system? You know, mm. well, crying is low heart rate is low blood pressure or high blood pressure. You know, these are all things telling us where we're at in that chart. So it's very helpful for people to reflect and see what does green light look for me? Who are my green light people? What does yellow light look for me? Mm. What does red light look for me? So you can recognize when you're in those states. When I'm in red light, I cannot speak. Mm. I cannot think. If people say, what do you want? What do you think? I I am, my brain is mud. It's just, I absolutely cannot come up with one thought and it's frozen. Mm. And so, or some people fawn when they're in the red light. They're people pleasing on steroids. You know, they're just doing the trauma bonding they're trying to they move towards the enemy and the tiger and trying to make friends with the tiger right instead of Mm. so we want to know what does it look like for me and then our modern brain can take the proper steps to go in and attend to the body what we don't want our modern brain to do is get mad at the baby what the heck is wrong with you that you keep falling and that you're feeling pain from falling You shouldn't feel this pain. And we have to tell that parent that, no, that's called being human. What you're asking that body to do is asking it to not be human. Mm. This is what our body is wired to do, right? Mm. So in order to have that understanding, realistic understanding, we really need to understand the human, how the body and brain works, right? And that's what all of us teachers are trying to do is say, hey, you know, let me help you understand how your brain and body work and so forth and why you do the things you do. Mm. But knowing why doesn't equate change, right? So it's helpful information, but it's not enough to solicit the change. So then we will, um, depending on what's going on, we'll look at our menu of what choices do I have of things to do? And we'll use, maybe I do vagal tone. Maybe Mm. I go for a walk. Maybe I need to eat and target sleep. And so Mm. you kind of look at what do I need to do to take care of this this body that just fell and is hurting itself. So we don't want to get mad at the body. We don't want to get impatient with it. Like, again, you fell once. I already told you what would make you fall. So why are you falling again? Right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, we're going to fall and fall and fall and fall. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yes, it hurts and it's hard, but it is part of our life. And that's where we have to change the rules of our game. Mm. Whatever rules you follow is the game you're going to play. And the people that are playing those games are who you're going to play with. Mm. So if the rule you're following is it's weak to cry then you're going to play the game with the people who say it's weak to cry. So we have to change the rules so we can change our game, right? Mm -hmm. And change our playmates. So we're not repeating the same dynamics. So we have to free up, change some of these emotion rules and know that I am not, there's nothing wrong with me for needing a hug, for wanting comfort, for needing a shoulder to cry on, for asking for help. There is nothing weak about that. In fact, I'm going against my nature to ask for help. And that's an incredibly strong thing to be able to override 
my body's what it's compelled to do and what it wants to do instinctually. So it's very strong to be able to have a courage to ask people to help you to reach out in that way. So we have to change the rules we have about emotions. We have to change our understanding about what makes a healthy adult in relationship. Many people think an avoidant attachment is the ideal representation of a healthy adult. And what avoidant is, is I don't need anyone. I'll take care of it myself. I don't like to cry around people. I don't like to ask for help. I am all independent and I'm going to take care of myself, right? Yep. We're not designed to do that. We're designed to be interdependent, which Mm. means that when we have the support, we can lean into it, receive it, support others. But when it is not there, we're able to tap into our own resources and support ourselves. Mm. And we can do that balance. But an avoided attachment, that's not a healthy adult. That is not what we want to strive towards. So we have to change our understanding about what is this healthy adult and so forth, but really begin to change our self-talk and our tolerance for that experience, right? And Mm -hmm. understand that we will have times, it's just like grief, where you go through, it, it mirrors grief. Divorce is grief. Yes. And there are there's going to be times where you're going about your business, you're happily married. You and I talked about that in one of the previous podcasts. Yes. Yes. About grief that you might just something could trigger you. It could be a smell, it could be a song, it could be a, a place that you walked with your ex and you happen to be walking right there and you had that memory pop yes. into your head. And all of a sudden, boom, here comes the tears. Yes. I was going to ask you about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And that's just what it does. And instead yes. of going, why is this still happening? This is a, this is a shame-bound uh, thought process that many people have mm-hmm. that shames them in their healing process because they have this idea mm-hmm. that if they do the work, they will be done. Mm-hmm. They won't have the pain. They won't have the sadness. They won't have the memories. It will be done. But that is not how it works. If it's happened in your past, if it's been part of your story, part of your history, it's on the timeline. And you hear me talk about the conveyor belt, that we have this conveyor belt inside of us that brings thoughts to us and and back away. You know, feelings come and they go. And that is how it works. So what does change is perhaps the frequency or the intensity or how long it might linger. And mm-hmm. that, and it begins to be different, just like you hear a parent who may have lost a uh, a loved one or a person who lost a loved one. They, when you talk to them right when they lost it, they're just crying and raw emotions are on board, right? But down the road, they can, they remember and they have sadness and they go, oh, that is just, I really miss that person. Yeah. But the, they're not having the raw emotion. They still have that grief. It's just a little bit different in how it's experienced now. I love that you brought this up because I I had this experience recently and I I have moved forward. I'm in an amazing relationship. I am the version of myself I'm really proud of. There are still times where a song will come on the radio. I'll be driving by myself. I'll think about something. I'll hit a, a roadmark or a milestone or something. And I can't help it, but I get a poke 
and my throat starts to well, you know, swell up and my eyes start to do the thing. They start watering. I start like crying again. And I used to just be so upset about it. Like I thought I moved on that shame again, right? Like trying to just punish myself for not having totally healed when actually it's okay. It's okay. You can have healed and just yeah. still yeah. feel about your past. And yeah. now whenever that happens, I just really embrace it and go, okay, that's yeah. been a, that was a part of me. That's been a part of me. That's made me who I am and changing the relationship that I have to those moments that pop up has been such a game changer for me, such a healing journey, such, and such a nod to the woman that I've become. Every time that that happens, I just go, wow, I let that be now. I let myself just be now. Um, yeah. And I wasn't doing that before. And along those same lines, I have so many clients that, and I think that you answered this, I'm, and I'm so excited to know the answer to this, but they get stuck in the loop of, I miss them. Oh, I still miss them. And they're frustrated and they're angry. I still miss them. I don't want to miss them especially when maybe they are dealing with infidelity or divorce. They feel like divorce wasn't their choice, which is a whole nother discussion. But, you know, there's just a ton of tears around that. And I feel like what you have just shared is the key to it all is that there's just maybe us giving ourselves shame for continuing to have feelings yeah. about it. And, and how could we not miss them? There's a reason why you married them. You didn't know they were having an affair. You thought you had this marriage yeah. and you will miss that person. So it's not black and white. It's yeah. not like now that you know they did a, a, a behavior that was destructive or hurtful that um, now they're a bad person and everything about it was bad. No, there was, there was parts of it also that were really rewarding you know, I was just listening to this country song um, the other day on the radio, and there was a line in it that said, I don't miss you because of what I have now, or it's something like that. Like, what I have now is why I don't miss you, right? Ooh. So we hear that. Yeah. But I'm sitting there going, oh, but dude, you just wrote a song about it. <laughs> Exactly. What is the irony in that? I don't miss you. I don't miss you. And I'm going to sing about how much I don't miss you because I'm thinking about you. Hello. <laughs> right. But we don't like think about that. And we sit there and go, oh, what's wrong with me? Because I do have something really wonderful. I do right miss now. you. Yeah. And yet I'm thinking about this person. And so what does that mean about me? And I'm not fully loving this person. What does it mean about them? Are they not all that? And that's why I'm still thinking about this person. I mean, it just is such a head trip. Yeah. The information that we get and we just have to just lay that stuff down and just radically accept our journey, radically accept ourselves, our body responses, and just do whatever is being called to do. Like if you're having thoughts that are being critical, adjust, adjust, turn the mind. Don't judge your judging, just turn the mind and start over and support yourself through it. And you know how I said, when you get that stuff, you don't release the emotion, it gets congested in your body. Yeah. There's a thing called, I call it trauma farts. Okay. Trauma <laughs> farts. Yes. And what it is, is that whenever people talk about trauma or they talk about things that are really upsetting uh, to them, somehow their body releases air. So they either start yawning, they start hiccuping, they start burping, or they start getting flatulence. Ah. Some air will escape their body. 
And you'll notice as, as a helper that you might talk to someone and you say, well, so tell me about your ex. And they'll, and all of a sudden they yawn. Uh-huh. That's because we just taught, we just touched on a subject that has so much charge to it that the body is releasing it. So when you cry, imagine that that is a emotional fart. <laughs> I love this so much. You're just farting it out. You're just getting rid of the gas. That's it. It's just, yeah. it's like, well, or we can go with champagne bubbles. Maybe that's better. <laughs> it's like little bubbles are floating up and they're sparkling out, you know, and you're just letting, you're releasing it. And sometimes I'll have people, I'll say, you know, have you grieved? Have you let yourself just sit down and grieve? Yeah. And they don't because they're so scared. They're so scared of the intensity of what they'll feel. They're afraid that they're going to lose their mind and go crazy. I've heard people say that. Yeah. They're afraid they won't stop crying. Yes. And I tell them it's not, have you had moments like that before? And they go, yes. And I said, and somehow you're, you're not still crying, right? You did stop, right? And they're like, yeah. And they laugh. You know, we do stop. Yeah. We do stop. But we have to just, let that happen, get it out, express it. Mm -hmm. And so I'll tell them, I say, take this weekend and go somewhere, somewhere where you are safe, you are supported. And I want you to have a a crying session if you can. And they will um, come back and they'll say, they'll fight me on it. They won't want to do it. They'll go, I can't, can't, I'll lose it, blah, blah, blah. I say, no, it's, it will, it will work. And they come back and they say, you are not kidding. I like feel so much better and I'm not crying all the time anymore. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's the crying was trying to like a tea kettle. It was boiling over. Right. But when you pour the water out, then sometimes it's, it's done in that moment. Right. It gets kind of the the immediate inflammation of it out. Mm. And if they can't cry, that means they're in the red light. Their body is so shut down, it won't let them cry because remember, that means that we're becoming belly up yeah. and their body is saying, I'm not safe enough to be belly up. So it will not cry. Oh. And then what happens is a year after, two years after, all of a sudden they're crying all the time. Now they're with their new partner and they're crying and crying. They go, what the heck? And I tell them, now you can cry because you're in the green light zone. Oh, now you're with a safe person. Now you're in an environment where you can let down your, you can lay down your shield. You can lay down your weapons mm. and you can lay on your back and be belly up. And mm. all of that gas starts coming out because mm. now you're relaxed enough that you can actually go to the bathroom now. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. This is so good. I have one more quick question and, and I don't know if it's quick, but, um, I just, I had written down, is there healthy versus unhealthy crying? And I literally don't know the answer to this. Is is there a healthy versus unhealthy crying? Or is it just like, it's just crying. Don't make more of it than it is. Yeah. I think instead of unhealthy, I would say more like, um, well, in a medical world, we'd use the word pathological. Like it's, uh, it's indicating that there is something off in the body that is causing that crying to happen excessively. Okay. okay. And that's when we go to the doctor and we seek the doctor. Okay. Um, if, if, when you say unhealthy crying, I think of more when people use crying instrumentally to get their needs met, you know, okay. 
um, in a manipulative type way. Yeah. So it's, it's a maladaptive strategy to get their needs met mm. that I would put in unhealthy crime behavior. Okay. But if somebody is not able, they really cannot bring it in and they, they did the crying session they they change the self-talk. It's not um, coming from a thought. It's not coming in response to the parent freaking out at the baby, yeah. right? <laughs> but it's just the baby is still there and still in pain, no matter what, then we have to go and get medical care and see what's going on. You know, yeah. some people sweat excessively and that's mm. something that's off with their body and they need medical care yeah. to get their body to stop sweating. And sometimes we need that emotionally too. That's a really great explanation. That's a really, really great way of thinking of it because we think of some of those other physical cues as like, oh, I just can't control those. It's just how my body is, but also that 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 can be a part of the process. So I love that we've covered all the different segments and how to look at our tears, uh, all the neurological things, all, all, all of the pieces. You've just done such a beautiful job, which I knew in my gut you would really break this down for us in the most incredible way. Your explanations are just so easy to understand. And it's just one of the many, many things that I love about you and the work that you do um, and the way that you show up uh, for our listeners and, and for me. So thank you so, so much. Um, how can our listeners get more of you in their life? Well, come to my website and sign up uh, and uh, my Let's Stay Connected. And that's at drshawnhorn.com. They can follow me on Instagram and join, sign up there through the bio as well. They can subscribe to my podcast and my YouTube. And uh, then they'll hear about all the goodies that I have rolling out, the resources and courses and books and talks and all sorts of things that will help to support them in their journey of transformation. Incredible. Incredible. I know people are going to be running to do all of those things to connect with you. Um, and you guys, Dr. Sean is all over social media and she is just a breath of fresh air all the time. So get on her spaces. Um, as you probably have known in the past, I always ask two closing questions. And the first question is, I love this because even repeat guests, mm -hmm their answers are always different and it's so great and I love it so much. So um, the first question is, what is one thing that you love about you? I'm adventurous. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> I know several I different several different things about you that I've learned from just your shares and then your social media that make me truly believe that. And it makes me <laughs> so excited to know you. Um, one of the most recent things that you shared with me, can I, can how about yeah, you share, you if you want to share what you shared with me today, because I don't want to share your, your, well, I'm always doing something new. You know, I just, I have that creative mind and my, my mind always wants to do things. They say, if you work with your hands, you rest with your mind. And if you work with your mind, you rest with your hands. So I like to do creative things. And, and one day I just got this idea. I ha I cannot tell you how it came into my mind, why it came into my mind, because I've never listened to this. I've never taken an interest in it. Probably if I heard it, I go, oh, geez, we got to get out of here. I don't want to listen to that. But I thought about yodeling. And I just thought, I wonder how they do that. So I went on YouTube and I started learning how to yodel. <laughs> and so, and then come to find out it's an amazing vagal tone exercise I and mean, vagal tone on. exercises strengthen your green light nerve, your ventral. Ooh. 
So you want to do those every day. So yodeling started making me feel so euphoric. You have to have incredible breathing abilities when you yodel. So that was just fabulous. And then one day, can't tell you how, don't know why, but one day I just had this idea of, I wonder how you belly dance. <laughs> so, so I started learning how to belly dance on YouTube. You don't have to go anywhere. No one has to see you. Yeah. Fact, don't yodel in front of other people. I warn you against it, but it's fun to do privately. So now I am the shame bustling yodeling belly dancer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the permission to be adventurous and explore in the comfort and safety of your own home. That is such a, it's really is a beautiful gift. And I love that you love that about yourself. It's, it's so sweet. And the last question is what does joy feel like in your body? You know, I had somebody tell me the other day we were talking about being over 70, they, they were in, in their elder years, and how their idea of joy and peace has changed over, the, over time. And they said, you know, when I think of joy, I immediately get this picture in my mind that I feel all the way to my toes. But I picture myself sitting on my porch in a wooden rocking chair Overlook in the morning, the mist is on the ground, and in the distance, you see beautiful mountains and a lake. And I'm holding coffee, and the steam is coming from the coffee, and I'm holding in my hand and I'm rocking. And that right there gives me pure joy. And I got that. I started thinking about all those times when you're in nature and you're just sitting in a forest and you're just looking at how beautiful everything is or at the ocean or at, at the face of a loved one smiling, you know, but it's just those restful moments where you're savoring what you are feeling in a peaceful moment that that is a moment of joy to me. Oh, thank you for that. It gave me more validation than you can ever know. I do a process called, um, uh, called scripting every morning where I write as if. And what picture that woman painted for you is exactly the picture that I write about every morning. <gasps> wow. It, it is. Oh, thank you yeah. for that. Thank you for your light, for your expertise, for your multiple contributions on this show. I am forever grateful for you and all that you do and the way that you show up in this world. Oh, thank you. And I am of you as well. Thank you. And to all of you listening, remember you are safe, you are loved, you are enough. Go out into the world, shine your light bright and live a limitless life. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in. If you loved our chat or know someone who would, take a quick screenshot and share it now or leave a five-star review so this message can reach the masses. Let's continue connecting over on Instagram at Divorce Comeback Coach or go to divorcecomebackcoach.com to start coordinating your comeback today. You can even schedule a free connection call to see if our comeback community and group coaching experience is for you. Tune in next week for another transformational topic. And remember, you are safe, you are loved, you are worthy, you are enough. Take care.